the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible, every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight as we start a brand new book of the Bible. We have just completed a time in the New Testament, the books of First and Second Corinthians. Wonderful books to read around the time of celebrating our nation's independence because of their great theme, particularly Second Corinthians, the great theme of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Now, we're going back into the Old Testament tonight. We're going to pick up with the book of Job. Most of you are familiar with Job only in the sense of the patience of Job. We'll talk more about the book of Job. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 96. So many different ways to praise and worship God. See if you can pick out a few on tonight's Bible Life. Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things He does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be revered above all the gods. The gods of other nations are merely idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. 
Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship Him. Worship the Lord in all His holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before Him. Tell all the nations that the Lord is King. The world is firmly established and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the fields and their crops burst forth with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord. For the Lord is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the nations with His truth. End of reading, Psalm 96. You are God in heaven and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. You're listening to the Bible. Live with Soapy Dollar. And I'll stand in all of you. Now, you remember the story of Job. This is the oldest book in the Bible, not perhaps the oldest written book, but it records the earliest events back into the times of the patriarchs, 2000 to 1800 BC. The events that we read about in the book of Job are all quite early. There are no references to either the tabernacle or the temple or even to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to the covenant. So this is considered to be the oldest of the books of the Bible. Very interestingly, it is one of the most popular books that we read on this program every year because so many people are touched by this experience. And I think it is the very humanity the deep identification that we have with this man named Job, he is tested. He has a life filled with prestige, possessions, lots of people around him, wonderful family, and then he's suddenly assaulted on every side. He's devastated, stripped down to almost nothing. But his life had been built on God, and he manages to endure. Job is a theological treatise about suffering, about divine sovereignty. It's a picture of faith that endures through all kinds of hardship and difficulty. It's heroic in that sense when we really identify with this man named Job. As we read it together, now analyze your own life. Are you truly building your life on that foundation of the true and living God and his son, the Messiah? One thing you're going to notice here is that Job doesn't know all that we know. All Job had at his time was nature and what had been passed down verbally from the time of creation, the universal floods and so on, the things that he would have heard through that common wellspring of human tradition, the oral stories that had been passed down. But he still deals with some of the most common everyday problems we have today, mortality. If a man dies, will he live again? He deals with the subject of faith and trust. One of the basic beliefs of the time was that if you're a good person, you're going to be prosperous. Well, that is not the case, and that's one of the great lessons taught about our life here on planet Earth. Remember now, as we start the book, Job is a prosperous farmer living in the land of Uz. He has thousands of sheep, camels, livestock, a large family, many servants. 
And suddenly Satan the accuser comes before God claiming that Job was only trusting God because he was wealthy. That's a common accusation that the world makes about Christians. And so the testing of Job's faith begins. Remember, Job doesn't know what we know. He doesn't know about God and Satan and this purposeful test of his faith. Job is just a man living out his life, and this comes upon him. God himself brags on Job and says he's a great man of faith and allows this testing of his faith. We're going to start out with the story of Job, and later we'll get into three of Job's friends who come to console him and help him and speak with him. So now to the book of Job on the Bible Life. Job 1.1 through 5.27. Job 1. There was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Every year when Job's sons had birthdays, they invited their brothers and sisters to join them for a celebration. On these occasions, they would get together to eat and drink. When these celebrations ended, and sometimes they lasted several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan the accuser came with them. Where have you come from? the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been going back and forth across the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, Job fears God, but not without good reason. You have always protected him and his home and his property from harm. You have made him prosperous in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were dining at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground before God. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be stripped of everything when I die. 
The Lord gave me everything I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 2. One day the angels came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan the accuser came with them. Where have you come from? the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been going back and forth across the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you persuaded me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin, he blesses you only because you bless him. A man will give up everything he has to save his life, but take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with a terrible case of boils from head to foot. Then Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Three of Job's friends were Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. When they heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to demonstrate their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, and no one said a word, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Job 3. At last Job spoke. And he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Cursed be the day of my birth, and cursed be the night when I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost, even to God on high, and let it be shrouded in darkness. Yes, let the darkness and utter gloom claim it for their own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, and let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year never again to appear among the months. Let that night be barren. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, those who are ready to rouse the sea monster, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse it for its failure to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to all this trouble. Why didn't I die at birth as I came from the womb? Why did my mother let me live? Why did she nurse me at her breast? For if I had died at birth, I would be at peace now, asleep and at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers, famous for their great construction projects. I would rest with wealthy princes whose palaces were filled with gold and silver. Why was I not buried like a stillborn child, like a baby who never lives to see the light? For in death the wicked cease from troubling, and the weary are at rest. Even prisoners are at ease in death with no guards to curse them. 
Rich and poor are there alike, and the slave is free from his master. Oh, why should light be given to the weary, and life to those in misery? They long for death, and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasure. It is a blessed relief when they finally die, when they find the grave. Why is life given to those with no future, those destined by God to live in distress? I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come to be. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Instead, only trouble comes. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 4. Then Eliphaz the Tamanite replied to Job, Will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? In the past, you have encouraged many a troubled soul to trust in God. You have supported those who were weak. Your words have strengthened the fallen. You steadied those who wavered. But now, when trouble strikes, you faint and are broken. Does your reverence for God give you no confidence? Shouldn't you believe that God will care for those who are upright? Stop and think. Does the innocent person perish? When has the upright person been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. They perish by a breath from God. They vanish in a blast of His anger. Though they are fierce young lions, they will all be broken and destroyed. The fierce lion will starve, and the cubs of the lioness will be scattered. This truth was given me in secret as though whispered in my ear. It came in a vision at night as others slept. Fear gripped me. I trembled and shook with terror. A spirit swept past my face. Its wind sent shivers up my spine. It stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. There was a form before my eyes, and a hushed voice said, Can a mortal be just and upright before God? Can a person be pure before the Creator? If God cannot trust His own angels, and has charged some of them with folly, how much less will he trust those made of clay? Their foundation is dust, and they are crushed as easily as moths. They are alive in the morning, but by evening they are dead, gone forever without a trace. Their tent collapses. They die in ignorance. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 5. You may cry for help, but no one listens. You may turn to the angels, but they give you no help. Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. From my experience, I know that fools who turn from God may be successful for the moment, but then comes sudden disaster. Their children are abandoned far from help with no one to defend them. Their harvests are stolen and their wealth satisfies the thirst of many others, not themselves. But evil does not spring from the soil and trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as predictably as sparks fly upward from a fire. My advice to you is this. Go to God and present your case to Him, for He does great works, too marvelous to understand. He performs miracles without number. He gives rain for the earth. He sends water for the fields. He gives prosperity to the poor and humble, and He takes sufferers to safety. He frustrates the plans of the crafty so their efforts will not succeed. He catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness,
so that their cunning schemes are thwarted. They grope in the daylight as though they were blind. They see no better in the daytime than at night. He rescues the poor from the cutting words of the strong. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. And so at last the poor have hope, and the fangs of the wicked are broken. But consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the chastening of the Almighty when you sin. For though he wounds, he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. He will rescue you again and again, so that no evil can touch you. He will save you from death in time of famine, from the power of the sword in time of war. You will be safe from slander and will have no fear of destruction when it comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine. Wild animals will not terrify you. You will be at peace with the stones of the field, and its wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your home is kept safe. When you visit your pastures, nothing will be missing. Your children will be many. Your descendants will be as plentiful as grass. You will live to a good old age. You will not be harvested until the proper time. We have found from experience that all this is true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. End of reading Job 1 1 through 527. It's very comfortable. Some of you are driving around South Texas in ambulances and police cars and fire stations and night or evening jobs all across the city. You might be headed home across the streets and byways of San Antonio, across the highways of South Texas. Welcome to the Bible Live. Now we are reading through the book of Job. That's what we're doing these days. We do Job, and of course we jump to Psalms and the Proverbs because we read those each and every evening. We'll catch Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon following the book of Job, and then we'll go on back to the New Testament and pick up there, I believe, with the epistles to the Galatians, Ephesians, and the Philippians. That's the way we do it. We make our way progressively through the Old and New Testaments, alternating back and forth between them. So we'll pick up tonight at Job chapter 6. As you know, the book of Job is this wonderful story in the first few chapters, and then the rest of the book is a conversation between Job and three or four friends who come to console him in his hour of grieving and difficulties. And then, of course, at the end of the book, God himself speaks his message to Job. Right now, our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 97. God, our awesome conqueror, is also righteous Psalm and just. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest islands be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes forth before him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes out across the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens declare his righteousness. Every nation sees his glory. Those who worship idols are disgraced, all who brag about their worthless gods. For every god must bow to him. Jerusalem has heard and rejoiced. And all the cities of Judah are glad because of your justice, Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love God hate evil. He protects the lives of his godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. 
Light shines on the godly and joy on those who do right. May all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise His holy name. End of reading Psalm 97. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Be strong in the Lord. I think of Joshua when I hear that particular phrase, but all through the scriptures we're admonished to hold on, keep on, persist, don't ever give up. Don't take your hand off the plow. God is at work, and the victory indeed will be ours. Beautiful psalm tonight, this Psalm 97. We don't know who wrote it, but I like the phrase, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And his righteousness and his justice will conquer all, victorious over all wickedness and all evil. Maybe not in this world, and this time to see there's something else going on in this world. It's harvest time. Souls are being harvested for eternity. The family of God is being formed as men and women, boys and girls, all over planet Earth discover the God of Scripture, the true and living God, and they hear about His love for us in sending His own Son to take our punishment harvest time. That's what's going on now. But someday, God will make all things right. Well, let's go into the story of Job. Chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. Job is a series of conversations between this man who has suffered so much. He has lost his ten children, his homes, his possessions, his herds, his own health. He sits now with boils and sores upon him. He's in terrible pain constantly. His friends have come to speak with him. But their particular perspective is that, Job, you are suffering because you're sinful. Job knows that it's not true, and we know it's not true because we know the background that God is indeed allowing Job's faith to be tested by Satan himself. Job is going to grow through this experience, and his friends, those who observe him, are going to grow and be impacted as well by Job going through these hardships. Job chapter 6 on the Bible Life. Job 6, 1 through 11, 20. Job 6. Then Job spoke again. If my sadness could be weighed and my troubles put on the scales, they would be heavier than all the sands of the sea. That is why I spoke so rashly. For the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. He has sent his poisoned arrows deep within my spirit. All God's terrors are arrayed against me. Don't I have a right to complain? While donkeys bray when they find no green grass, and oxen low when they have no food. People complain when there is no salt in their food, and how tasteless is the uncooked white of an egg. My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my hope. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I do not have the strength to endure. I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. Do I have strength as hard as a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless, without any chance of success. 
One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you have accused me without the slightest fear of the Almighty. My brother, you have proved as unreliable as a seasonal brook that overflows its banks in the spring when it is swollen with ice and melting snow. But when the hot weather arrives, the water disappears. The brook vanishes in the heat. The caravans turn aside to be refreshed, but there is nothing there to drink, and so they perish in the desert. With high hopes, the caravans from Tama and from Sheba stop for water, but finding none, their hopes are dashed. You too have proved to be of no help. You have seen my calamity, and you are afraid. But why? Have I ever asked you for a gift? Have I begged you to use any of your wealth on my behalf? Have I ever asked you to rescue me from my enemies? Have I asked you to save me from ruthless people? All I want is a reasonable answer. Then I will keep quiet. Tell me, what have I done wrong? Honest words are painful, but what do your criticisms amount to? Do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? You would even send an orphan into slavery or sell a friend. Look at me. Would I lie to your face? Stop assuming my guilt, for I am righteous. Don't be so unjust. Do you think I am lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 7. Is this not the struggle of all humanity? A person's life is long and hard, like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the day to end, like a servant waiting to be paid. I, too, have been assigned months of futility, long and weary nights of misery. When I go to bed, I think, when will it be morning? But the night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My skin is filled with worms and scabs. My flesh breaks open, full of pus. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, flying back and forth. They end without hope. Oh God, remember that my life is but a breath, and I will never again experience pleasure. You see me now, but not for long. Your eyes will be on me, but I will be dead. Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. They are gone forever from their home, never to be seen again. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. I must complain in my bitterness. Am I a sea monster that you place a guard on me? If I think, my bed will comfort me, and I will try to forget my misery with sleep, you shatter me with dreams. You terrify me with visions. I would rather die of strangulation than go on and on like this. I hate my life. I do not want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for these few remaining days. What are mere mortals that you should make so much of us? For you examine us every morning and test us every moment. Why won't you leave me alone even for a moment? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of all humanity? Why have you made me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just pardon my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Job 8 Then Bildad the Shuhite replied to Job, How long will you go on like this? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? 
Your children obviously sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, if you are pure and live with complete integrity, he will rise up and restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you will end with much. Just ask the former generation. Pay attention to the experience of our ancestors. For we were born but yesterday and know so little. Our days on earth are as transient as a shadow. But those who came before us will teach you. They will teach you from the wisdom of former generations. Can papyrus reeds grow where there is no marsh? Can bulrushes flourish where there is no water? While they are still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither. Such is the fate of all who forget God. The hope of the godless comes to nothing. Everything they count on will collapse. They are leaning on a spider web. They cling to their home for security, but it won't last. They try to hold it fast, but it will not endure. The godless seems so strong, like a lush plant growing in the sunshine, its branches spreading across the garden. Its roots grow down through a pile of rocks to hold it firm, but when it is uprooted, it isn't even missed. That is the end of its life, and others spring up from the earth to replace it. But look, God will not reject a person of integrity, nor will he make evildoers prosper. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be destroyed. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 9. Then Job spoke again. Yes, I know this is all true in principle. But how can a person be declared innocent in the eyes of God? If someone wanted to take God to court... Would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty. Who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place, and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the ways of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. His great works are too marvelous to understand. He performs miracles without number. Yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves on, I do not see him go. If he sends death to snatch someone away, who can stop him? Who dares to ask him, what are you doing? And God does not restrain his anger. The mightiest forces against him are crushed beneath his feet. And who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him? Even if I were innocent, I would have no defense. I could only plead for mercy. And even if I summoned him and he responded, he would never listen to me. For he attacks me without reason, and he multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. As for strength, he has it. As for justice, who can challenge him? Though I am innocent, my own mouth would pronounce me guilty. Though I am blameless, it would prove me wicked. I am innocent, but it makes no difference to me. I despise my life. Innocent or wicked, it is all the same to me. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. 
He laughs when a plague suddenly kills the innocent. The whole earth is in the hands of the wicked, and God blinds the eyes of the judges and lets them be unfair. If not he, then who? My life passes more swiftly than a runner. It flees away, filled with tragedy. It disappears like a swift boat, like an eagle that swoops down on its prey. If I decided to forget my complaints, if I decided to end my sadness and be cheerful, I would dread all the pain he would send. For I know you will not hold me innocent, O God. Whatever happens, I will be found guilty. So what's the use of trying? Even if I were to wash myself with soap and cleanse my hands with lye to make them absolutely clean, you would plunge me into a muddy ditch, and I would be so filthy my own clothing would hate me. God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator who could bring us together, but there is none. The mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Job 10. I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you are bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while sending joy and prosperity to the wicked? Are your eyes only those of a human? Do you see things as people see them? Is your lifetime merely human? Is your life so short that you are in a hurry to probe for my guilt, to search for my sin? Although you know I am not guilty, no one can rescue me from your power. You formed me with your hands. You made me, and yet you completely destroy me. Remember that I am made of dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and you knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Yet your real motive, I know this was your intent, was to watch me, and if I sinned, you would not forgive my iniquity. If I am guilty, too bad for me. And even if I'm innocent, I am filled with shame and misery so that I can't hold my head high. And if I hold my head high, you hunt me like a lion and display your awesome power against me. Again and again you witness against me. You pour out an ever-increasing volume of anger upon me and bring fresh armies against me. Why then did you bring me out of my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? Then I would have been spared this miserable existence. I would have gone directly from the womb to the grave. I have only a little time left, so leave me alone, that I may have a little moment of comfort before I leave for the land of darkness and utter gloom, never to return. It is a land as dark as midnight, a land of utter gloom where confusion reigns, and the light is as dark as midnight. Job 11. Then Zophar the Naamathite replied to Job, Shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proven innocent just by talking a lot? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? 
You claim my teaching is pure, and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak. If only He would tell you what He thinks. If only He would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything there is to know about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. But who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What can you know in comparison to Him? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes along and puts a person in prison, or if He calls the court to order, who is going to stop Him? For He knows those who are false, and He takes note of all their sins. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear human offspring. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to Him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten in innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will all be gone like water under the bridge. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Any darkness will be as bright as morning. You will have courage because you will have hope. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. But the wicked will lose hope. They have no escape. Their hope becomes despair. End of reading, Job 6, 1 through 11, 20. Have you ever been accused of something you really, truly, honestly did not do? It can be pretty frustrating, (laughs) especially if you cannot readily, in a moment, clearly demonstrate the falsehood, if you cannot prove you're innocent in a moment. That's where Job finds himself. All three of his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, we have heard from the three of them now, All three of his friends make the mistake of assuming that Job has committed some great sin that is causing his suffering. Now, neither they nor Job know what we know. They don't know of Satan's conversation with God that we've read about in chapters 1 and 2. It's human nature to blame people for their own troubles. To some degree, that may even be correct. Most of our wounds in life might be self-inflicted. But Job's story makes it clear that blame cannot always be attached to those whom trouble strikes. We should be very slow to be in the blame game. It's hard to do sometimes, especially in the times like we live where people try to avoid at all costs personal responsibility. Now, Eliphaz here in the opening chapters said it was good to be disciplined by God for wrongdoing, and that is a true statement, but it didn't apply to Job's situation. He wasn't guilty of wrongdoing. We can glean a lot of ideas here about counseling. As we counsel, as we comfort, as we encourage others, we can get some ideas here. I I noted the first night as we began to read the story of Job, how his friends came and sat in silence for a week before saying anything. I felt like that was a very good thing, not to come in quickly with words and explanations, but just to be there, to give that human contact, that human support to be there on his behalf. Sometimes words do get in the way. 
sometimes when people are going through severe trials, ill-advised counsel is distasteful, especially if it's not hitting the target. They may listen politely, but inside they are upset. We should be slow to give advice to those who are hurting. We must have in some way earned almost the opportunity by our love to speak into their lives. In his grief, Job wants to give in. He wants to escape the pain. He simply wants to die. But God does not grant his request. He has a greater plan for Job. Sometimes we, too, want to give up. We want to get out of the situation. To trust God in the good times is commendable, but to trust him during difficult times, well, that's the real test of our limits. That's when we truly can exercise faith, trusting God when the time is tough. I was telling someone recently about learning to trust God in the middle of the trial. I'm awfully good at having a trial, and I get all discouraged, and I get down in the dumps, and I pray, oh, God, help me, help me. And then God does work. I gain the victory. I come out of the problem, and I'm so happy. Then I'm ready to trust God and thank God. But all of a sudden, it occurred to me, why didn't I thank God and praise God and trust God even when the things were rough? I call that my faith gap. The gap between when things go wrong, the crisis comes upon me, and how long does it take me to come to faith, to victory, to trusting God? And usually it has to wait till the problem's over. Are we able to trust God even in the midst of the problem? That's what we see Job is actually able to do. If Job's losses were his first test, loss of his children and possessions, and his painful boils, his physical problems, the second test of his faith... I would say his friends provided a third and perhaps the most frustrating test of his faith. When Job finally did get around to venting his grief and his sadness, each of his friends seemed to be just taking turns attempting to explain his agony. They hear Job's questions as arrogance, claiming not to deserve such suffering, rather than expressions of deep grief and misunderstanding. The harder Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar tried to explain Job's suffering, the less they seemed to help. Friendship requires great patience. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. And we are here. And, of course, you are out there. We're most grateful for your presence. Thank you for joining us for the Bible Live broadcast. We're going to continue our way tonight, of course, through the Bible. That's what we do each and every weeknight. But specifically, we are in the book of Job, considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. And yet you wouldn't know it from listening to it. It's so relevant. And I think it's because we identify with this man. We understand troubles and difficulty and hardship and disappointments and introspection and second-guessing ourselves. And we understand the experience here that he's going through of being accused falsely by his, quote, friends. And I won't be too hard on them. They gave it a good shot, a good attempt to be a friend to him. But then as they go along, they're beginning to lose their patience. Job just simply will not fit into their pattern. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the harder they try to explain his suffering, the less they help. So slowly, their consolation turns to condemnation. Job rejects the thesis that their reasoning is based on, and that is that he is guilty of sin, and that's the reason for his suffering. And we know it not the truth. That's our little advantage. We know the story behind the story. Just think of the impact Job's life is having on these men. Even though they're negative at this time, you'll see later on he has a remarkable 
impact even on their lives. So we're going to pick up at Job's fourth speech. He gives 10 speeches in all. And we're going to pick up on the fourth speech as he responds to Zophar's accusations. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 98. It's a song of joy. It's a song of victory because God is victorious over evil. Even though it may not seem it now in this world where good and evil coexist, justice will prevail. Goodness will prevail. Let's listen to the Bible live. Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. He has won a mighty victory by his power and holiness. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The whole earth has seen the salvation of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. End of reading, Psalm 98. Where would I be if you had not been by my side? How could I rise to meet the morning of the day? You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Calling from behind At times I could not Glad to have you along with us tonight. The Bible Live is back. Let's jump over to old Job. Job chapter 12. He has been uh, now listening to his friends. So far, the third friend to speak to him is the least courteous, full of anger. He lashes out at Job, saying not only did Job deserve the punishment he got, Job deserved even more punishment, not less. Zophar took the same position as Eliphaz just a few chapters earlier, and Bildad, Zophar's speech was by far the most arrogant. Job responds in like manner. He gives as well as he takes. Remember again, we know that Job is indeed a godly, righteous man, not sinless perfection, but he is not being punished for sin in his life. He is being showcased as a godly man, and he keeps asking the right questions. He goes to the basic. If a man dies, will he live again? Let's go listen to Job. Job 12, 1 through 17, 16. Job 12. Then Job spoke again. You really know everything, don't you? And when you die, wisdom will die with you. Well, I know a few things myself, and you're no better than I am. Who doesn't know these things you've been saying? Yet my friends laugh at me. I am a man who calls on God and receives an answer. I am a just and blameless man. Yet they laugh at me. People who are at ease mock those in trouble. They give a push to people who are stumbling. But even robbers are left in peace, and those who provoke God, and God has them in his power, live in safety. Ask the animals, and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the sky, and they will tell you. Speak to the earth, and it will instruct you. Let the fish of the sea speak to you. They all know that the Lord has done this. 
For the life of every living thing is in his hand, and the breath of all humanity. Just as the mouth tastes good food, so the ear tests the words it hears. Wisdom belongs to the aged, and understanding to those who have lived many years. But true wisdom and power are with God. Counsel and understanding are His. What He destroys cannot be rebuilt. When He closes in on someone, there is no escape. If He holds back the rain, the earth becomes a desert, and wisdom are with Him. Deceivers and deceived are both in His power. He leads counselors away, stripped of good judgment. He drives judges to madness. He removes the royal robe of kings. With ropes around their waist, they are led away. He leads priests away, stripped of status. He overthrows the mighty. He silences the trusted advisor, and he removes the insight of the elders. He pours disgrace upon princes and confiscates weapons from the strong. He floods the darkness with light. He brings light to the deepest gloom. He raises up nations, and he destroys them. He makes nations expand, and he abandons them. He takes away the understanding of kings, and he leaves them wandering in a wasteland without a path. They grope in the darkness without a light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 13. Look, I have seen many instances such as you describe. I understand what you are saying. Oh, how I long to speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. For you are smearing me with lies. As doctors, you are worthless quacks. Please be quiet. That's the smartest thing you could do. Listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God by means of lies and dishonest arguments? You should be impartial witnesses, but will you slant your testimony in his favor? Will you argue God's case for him? Be careful that he doesn't find out what you are doing, or do you think you can fool him as easily as you fool people? No, you will be in serious trouble with him if even in your hearts you slant your testimony in his favor. Doesn't His Majesty strike terror into your heart? Does not your fear of Him seize you? Your statements have about as much value as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Yes, I will take my life in my hands and say what I really think. God might kill me, but I cannot wait. I am going to argue my case with him, but this is what will save me, that I am not godless. If I were, I would be thrown from his presence. Listen closely to what I am about to say. Hear me out. I have prepared my case. I will be proved innocent. Who can argue with me over this? If you could prove me wrong, I would remain silent until you remove your hand from me. And don't terrify me with your awesome presence. Now summon me and I will answer, or let me speak to you and you reply. Tell me what have I done wrong? Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why do you consider me your enemy? Would you terrify a leaf that is blown by the wind? Would you chase a dry stalk of grass? 
You write bitter accusations against me and bring up all the sins of my youth. You put my feet in stocks. You watch all my paths. You trace all my footprints. I waste away like rotting wood, like a moth-eaten coat. Job 14. How frail is humanity! How short is life and how full of trouble! Like a flower, we blossom for a moment and then wither. Like the shadow of a passing cloud, we quickly disappear. Must you keep an eye on such a frail creature and demand an accounting from me? Who can create purity in one boy? You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. So give us a little rest, won't you? Turn away your angry stare. We are like hired hands, so let us finish the task you have given us. If a tree is cut down, there is hope that it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, at the scent of water it may bud and sprout again like a new seedling. But when people die, they lose all strength. They breathe their last, and then where are they? As water evaporates from a lake, and as a river disappears in drought, people lie down and do not rise again. Until the heavens are no more, they will not wake up, nor be roused from their sleep. I wish you would hide me with the dead, and forget me there until your anger has passed. But mark your calendar to think of me again. If mortals die, can they live again? This thought would give me hope, and through my struggle I would eagerly wait for release. You would call, and I would answer, and you would yearn for me your handiwork. Be sealed in a pouch, and you would cover over my iniquity. But as mountains fall and crumble, and as rocks fall from a cliff, as water wears away the stones, and floods wash away the soil, so you destroy people's hope. You always overpower them, and then they pass from the scene. You disfigure them in death and send them away. They never know if their sons grow up in honor or sink to insignificance. They are absorbed in their own pain and grief. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 15. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, You are supposed to be a wise man, and yet you give us all this foolish talk. You are nothing but a windbag. It isn't right to speak so foolishly. What good do such words have? Have you no fear of God, no reverence for Him? Your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Your words are based on clever deception. But why should I condemn you? Your own mouth does. Were you the first person ever born? Were you born before the hills were made? Were you listening at God's secret counsel? who understand that we don't. On our side are aged, gray-haired men much older than your father. Is God's comfort too little for you? Is His gentle word not enough? What has captured your reason? What has weakened your vision that you turn against God and say all these evil things? Can a mortal be pure? Can a human be just? Why, God doesn't even trust the angels. Even the heavens cannot be absolutely pure in his sight. How much less pure is a corrupt and sinful person with a thirst for wickedness? If you will listen, I will answer you from my own experience. And it is confirmed by the experience of wise men who have heard the same thing from their fathers, those to whom the land was given long before any foreigners arrived. 
Wicked people are in pain throughout their lives. They are surrounded by terrors, and even on good days they fear the attack of the destroyer. They dare not go out into the darkness for fear they will be murdered. They wander abroad for bread. Day terrifies them. They live in distress and anguish like a king preparing for an attack. For they have clenched their fists against God, defying the Almighty. Holding their strong shields, they defiantly charge against Him. These wicked people are fat and rich, but their cities will be ruined. They will live in abandoned houses that are ready to tumble down. They will not continue to be rich. Their wealth will not endure, and their possessions will no longer spread across the horizon. They will not escape the darkness. The flame will burn them up, and the breath of God will destroy everything they have. Let them no longer trust in empty riches. They are only fooling themselves, for emptiness will be their only reward. They will be cut down in the prime of life, and all they counted on will disappear. They will be like a vine whose grapes are harvested before they are ripe, like an olive tree that sheds its blossoms so the fruit cannot form. For the godless are barren. Their thieve trouble and evil, and their hearts give birth only to deceit. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 16. Then Job spoke again. I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are! Won't you ever stop your flow of foolish words? What have I said that makes you speak so endlessly? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off my criticisms against you and shake my head at you, but that's not what I would do. I would speak in a way that helped you. I would try to take away your grief. But as it is, my grief remains, no matter how I defend myself, and it does not help if I refuse to speak. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family. You have reduced me to skin and bones. As proof, they say, of my sins. God hates me and tears angrily at my flesh. He gnashes his teeth at me and pierces me with his eyes. People jeer and laugh at me. They slap my cheek in contempt. A mob gathers against me. God has handed me over to sinners. He has tossed me into the hands of the wicked. I was living quietly until he broke me apart. He took me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. Then he set me up as a target. His archers surrounded me and his arrows pierced me without mercy. The ground is wet with my blood. Again and again he smacked. I have surrendered and I sit in the dust. My eyes are red with weeping. Darkness covers my eyes. Yet I am innocent and my prayer is pure. O oh, earth! Do not conceal my blood. Let it cry out on my behalf. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is there on high. My friends scorn me, but I pour out my tears to God. Oh, that someone would mediate between God and me, as a person mediates between friends. For soon I must go down that road from which I will never return. I am near death. The grave is ready to receive me. I am surrounded by mockers. I watch how bitterly they taunt me. You must defend my innocence, O God, since no one else will stand up for me. 
You have closed their minds to understanding, but do not let them triumph. They denounce their companions for their own advantage, so let their children faint with hunger. God has made a mockery of me among the people. They spit in my face. My eyes are dim with weeping, and I am but a shadow of my former self. The upright are astonished when they see me. The innocent are aroused against the ungodly. The righteous will move onward and forward, and those with pure hearts will become stronger and stronger. As for all of you, come back and try again, but I will not find a wise man among you. My days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. They say that night is day, and day is night. How they pervert the truth. I might go to the grave and make my bed in darkness, and I might call is my hope. Can anyone find it? No. My hope will go down with me to the grave. We will rest together in the dust. End of reading, Job 12, 1 through 17, 16. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. back we're learning to depend learning to depend upon his word and that's what we're doing in the first place how beautiful the poetry of this passage especially there in chapters 12 through 14 as we opened up with job responding to zophar's accusations against him but then eliphaz comes back and they begin the second round of talks he has nothing more abrupt a little bit more rude perhaps a little more insulting toward job Job does acknowledge that his hardships come from God, but he continues to deny that they are a punishment for sin. He still insists that God is sovereign God, that ultimately the buck stops with God. And that is true. We have to remember that. Everything that's going on in our world is God allowed. It is part of his intention. That should give us some comfort. We are challenged then on that basis to get into the mind of God. What is God's plan? What are God's priorities? Most of our mistakes are us trying to presume that we see things exactly the way God does. We can't see it exactly as God sees, but we can learn. That's the whole point of the scriptures, to begin to see our world, the occurrences in our life as from God, to understand their purpose in the context of his purposes for humanity. Job holds out that possibility. He does say, of course, that all wisdom is from God and that we are to seek to think God's thoughts after him. Ultimately, God is unfathomable. He's immeasurable, totally beyond our comprehension in any exhaustive sense. But he does desire to reveal his heart, his mind to us. And as we walk with him in faith and obedience, he will teach us. He will bring us into that. The spiritual man appraises all things. We have a worldview that would allow us to comprehend and manage and handle any occurrence. God's view gives us the context in which to understand the things that happen in our world. But we need to understand his heart and understand his ways. We leave our pride and our arrogance behind. We humble ourselves and we come into that relationship with him by grace, through faith, 
by faith in his provision for us, Messiah. And then he begins to make us good. By his spirit, he begins to teach us and shape us. And we are encouraged to seek honestly. Look in chapter 13. God is never going to get angry at you for asking questions, for questioning, for doubting. Even in the New Testament, doubting Thomas. He said, I'm not going to believe in Jesus till I put my hand in his side and touch the wounds in his hands. Jesus didn't gripe him out. Jesus didn't berate him for that. He said, come on, Thomas, put your hand in my side. Touch the wounds in my hands. God encourages us to ask our questions honestly and sincerely and wait and expect, and he will give us the answers. will he live again. There's not even a Bible Job can read. He's talking way before the special revelation that we enjoy. Based on general revelation alone, he is already coming at these very basic questions. He's asking for a redeemer. He's asking for a mediator between God and man, the Messiah, the Savior. Very impressed with the beauty of the book of Job. I now understand better why it is included normally in the books of poetry in the Old Testament. These are not only powerful thoughts and ideas, but they are so beautifully expressed. We were just talking... Brian and I are talking here in the studio about suffering and its place. Often it is suffering and hardship and difficulty and pain that brings us to faith in God or to heighten our awareness and create spiritual growth. I remember C.S. Lewis' famous quote, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Well, however God is speaking into your life these days, pleasure or pain, I hope that you're listening and that you are growing in your walk with him. See you next. John, John Harrison here. I want to thank you for spending the final hours of your week. This has been the Bible Life Quiz Show. And uh, if you want to listen to more from Job or any of the books of the Bible, you can visit thebiblelife.com. Again, it's thebiblelife.com. they got it all right there. Just bookmark that page. We'll see you next week. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and brought... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.